You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. How many of you have ever been disappointed by a promise that wasn't fulfilled? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Mike's, Mike's right up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, like. Maybe you've purchased something on Amazon and it didn't turn out quite the way that it was described. Um, maybe your spouse or your parent said that they would do something for you and uh, you know they, they forgot about it and they let you down. Maybe someone said, oh, this one bothers me. Maybe somebody said that they would meet you at a certain time and they sealed the words with, I promise. And if you have to say the words, you probably don't aren't able to fulfill it, right? And uh, something beyond their control makes them late. Uh, maybe it's much more painful than that for you. Maybe there's been a marriage vow broken in your life. Or a church membership covenant forsaken. Or an employment tr- contract that was violated. And we've all experienced broken promises circumstances, sin, and human frailty all make promises seem like wishful thinking at best and utter foolishness at worst. Which can make what we're about to talk to today difficult. Uh, Putting our faith in God's promise. Like, do I really understand what God has promised? And is He capable of making good on that promise? Those are the things that we want to explore as we go after this big idea today. It's up on the screen, and you can write it down in your notes. Put your faith in God's unchanging and unstoppable promise as He works out His story. Put your faith in God's unchanging and unstoppable promise as He works out His story. Today we want to understand the nature of God's promises and learn to trust the giver of those promises. And to do that, we're going to pick up this story this morning where your Discover the Story reading plan left off. Um, I hope that you're able to to track through these weeks and kind of follow along with the story, uh, reading every day in God's Word. And listen, if you you miss a day in that, like just keep going. Just just pick up. And the, the whole point is spend time with God in His Word discover his story, understand his plan. And so um, I'm going to go all the way back actually to where that plan left off last week, where we left off in the sermon last week. And I wanted to just summarize, if you're you're reading in that plan, I want to summarize for you uh, what you would have read. So man and woman are in this good creation that God gave them. And they're charged to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And it goes pretty good for about two seconds until a serpent comes in and tempts them saying, you can be like God. And they give in to that temptation. And so God justly judges them. He curses them. He banishes them from the garden. And yet in the same breath, He makes a merciful promise. A promise that the offspring of the woman would conquer the serpent even as that offspring suffers under the curse along with the rest of mankind. And if you read Genesis 3-11, to hopefully you notice this big search going on for that offspring. The expectation of Genesis 3-11 through is that the offspring is going to come quickly, that he's one of the next ones in line. And so we get to the offspring of Eve named Abel. He's her, her second oldest son. And uh, we think maybe he's the one because God accepts his sacrifice and he rejected Cain's. And so maybe God's really happy. Maybe he's got his favor set on this Abel. But then the older brother Cain kills him. And our hopes are dashed. And and we see Cain's lineage unfold. and, And it's an evil, wicked lineage against God and his purposes. So then we meet Eve's third son that we're introduced to named Seth. And uh, maybe Seth is the one. 
And yet, as we see his line described over and over and over again, the sons die. And he died. And he died. And he died. And there's one that walked with God and he just was no more. And we don't get anything more from him. And then all of a sudden we get to Noah. And Noah's dad is like, maybe this is the one who's going to save us from our toil. From the curse that has been placed upon me, the man. Notice he didn't even care about the woman's curse. Maybe this is the one. And that would have been awesome. Because in the time of Noah, the thoughts of man were only evil continually. But God decided to double down on his judgment and wipe out the entire world with the flood. Everyone except Noah and his family. And so if we're reading this for the first time, maybe we are thinking, maybe Noah is the one. Maybe he is the one. The story reads like he's the new Adam starting over in this new creation, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing it. But it doesn't take long before he plants a vineyard, gets hammered on his own wine, his son violates him, and the whole story of the fall just continues on. And we get these genealogies that flow from Noah's kids, and and he's in this scattering of the nations all over the face of the earth, nations that are wicked and are, are idolatrous and, and, uh, and, and who are trying to, to set themselves up against God and His purposes. But in the middle of the last genealogy of chapter 11 in Genesis, we meet this guy in the land of ancient Babylon named Abram. Abram. Later God changes his name to Abraham, and so if I accidentally switch between the names, don't judge me. We're talking about the same guy. That's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. I hope you have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. We're on page 8 today. 8, I love that. So early. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place that at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still toward the Negeb. Today we're going to root ourselves in this chapter and this section that I just read, but we're going, to, we're going to kind of jump ahead and cover the whole period of what is known as the patriarchs, the forefathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons who father the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, they're, they're known as the patriarchs, and their stories are in Genesis chapter 12 through 50. And that's how kind of the rest of this series is going to go. We, we were really slow through those first three chapters of the Bible, right? Because we had to establish some, some groundwork, some really important things that happened in those first three chapters. But now we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. We're going to cover large portions of Scripture, uh, large spans of time, and we're going to try to get a sense of how the story of the Bible unfolds. And so here in chapter 12, Uh, We get the major plot of what God is going to do in the rest of the story of Genesis and really all throughout the whole Bible. All of the promises of God come back to the promise that he's making here to Abram. And you don't really understand what is happening in the rest of God's story and of your story until you get this part of the story. 
So in Genesis 12, 1 to 9, I want us to understand the central, unchanging, and unstoppable promise of the Bible that we're going to watch unfold. And so we're going to start here. Uh, Put your faith in God's unchanging promise. It's an unchanging promise as he works out his story. As time moves on from the flood, uh, we know from history that that massive civilizations are being formed uh, throughout the world. The Mesopotamians, the Sumerians, the Chaldeans, the Chinese Zhang dynasty. Um, The the earth is populating all over, but, but it's so interesting and fascinating to me. In the story of the Bible, God is zoomed in, so laser focused past all of that on one man and his family. This is the line of offspring through which he's going to bring forth the the serpent crusher. And we learn that that this is the man God is going to use to make a people for himself. I want you to see that everything that happens in the rest of the Bible, everything that happens in the rest of the world, depends on this promise to Abram here in Genesis 12. God had better make good on this, right? This is important. That promise has three parts. Land, blessing, and offspring. And I I want us to look at those because they they come up again and again in the story and they, they help us attach the other promises of God to His unfolding story. They play a very important part in understanding what God is doing in the world. They're the unchanging elements of God's promise to Abraham. And so first, uh, land. Land. God is creating a land where His people will dwell secure with Him. Look at verse 1. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country or your land and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. The words for country and land are the same word in the original. And this word for land is the same word also used for earth, when it says that God created the heavens and the earth. God's desire all along was that His people would have a land, the earth, where it would be a place where He would dwell with His people, and they would receive His blessing specifically in the Garden of Eden, where they would cultivate the land. But then the fall entered, and and people chose their own way, and they refused to acknowledge God in the land, in real time and space, on real earth and ground. Now we see God giving a specific land here to a specific family to establish a special relationship with Him. And so let's look at that on the map. You see that? That green, I don't know if you can see it here, uh, there's like this green swath right in the middle there, um, right at the bottom of that red line. It's kind of faint. There's not strong contrast on that picture. But um, Abram's family uh, had left his, the land of his kindred where in, in uh, Ur, which is actually over here off the screen, and uh, they had gone up to Haran, and they had stayed there for a little while. Uh, some scholars actually think that the promise was made while, well, Abram was still back in Ur, that's, pro- that's likely. And, um, and so they, they moved over to Haran, they stayed there for a while, but then once uh, Abram's father Terah died, uh, they then started their journey down into this land of Canaan. That's the land that's in green. And Canaan was the land that Noah's wicked son Ham and his descendants had settled. You remember that if you read uh, in the Discover the Story section. Um, God wants to take this land from his enemies and give it to his people. And this is a a specific plot of land promised to a specific person for a specific purpose in God's story. It's the same plot of land that, that Israel would conquer under the leadership of Joshua. It's the same plot of land that King David would rule and expand. It's the same plot of land that the nation would return to after their exile. It's the same plot of land where Jesus would fulfill His ministry. It's the same plot of land where the 
early church would first take root. And it's the same plot of land that Jesus will return to set up His kingdom when He reigns for a thousand years. It's incredible. And it was this little plot of fertile land the size of New Jersey with the Mediterranean Sea on the west and the Dead Sea on the east. And we now know this as the nation of Israel. This land is the central staging ground for the unfolding story of God. And God would give it to Abram and to his offspring, but not for a long time. Not for over 400 years, actually. Until then, they would live as outsiders. Verse 6 emphasizes that as God showed the land to Abram, the Canaanites were in the land. Abram was a sojourner. He's an outsider. He's an exile, in a sense. And by the end of the, the time of the patriarchs, his family is still not in the land. They're refugees in the land of Egypt, and later they become slaves in the land of Egypt. And the promise was a long time in the future, far outside of the scope of Abram's individual life story. And I want you to see that. I want you to take note of that. Because it wasn't about Abram's personal fulfillment or happiness. Abram's life wasn't about Abram's individual story. This was about God working out His story and using a specific family in that process. In fact, this land comes at great personal cost to Abram. The text emphasizes that he left his land and his family and, and, and the land where they had heritage and roots and he went to the land that he himself would never officially own. That's not the typical way we think about promises being kept, is it? That's not the typical way we think about God's promises in general, that they are for a far bigger story than our personal story. We want to think that God is going to fulfill His promises to me like next week, not ten generations from now. And so we need to be careful how we apply this or any other promise of God. This is a literal promise with a literal fulfillment. And the promises are there to strengthen our faith in what God is doing in real time and space, in real history, and in doing so, they include us in an unfolding plan of salvation. They're not made to give us easier lives in the moment or to build the kingdoms of earth. They're given to build the kingdom of God. And it's when we put our faith in what God is doing in that bigger story of salvation that we get to truly enjoy the promises and the blessings of God. Hebrews 11, 8-10 makes this so clear. He's reflecting on Genesis 12 and the author says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that, was, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city who has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. God's promise to Abram is about a bigger story. It's about setting his hope on God and God's bigger plan to dwell with his people forever. And as Abram uprooted his life out of faith in God's promise, he would receive the second part of that promise. Blessing. Blessing. Look at verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Blessing is divine favor. It's just a simple definition of blessing. And blessing was the sense in Genesis 1 where everything was good. Everything was ordered and flourishing for the sake of mankind living in the land with God. And mankind was shown favor above the rest of the created order. Remember, He blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
The concept of blessing acknowledges that God is the giver of everything good and we are the needy recipients. Ultimately, the blessing of God is God Himself. And that blessing is the opposite of what mankind was looking for since the fall. Over and over again, we see mankind trying to make himself great apart from God. You will be like God was the promise of the serpent. The heart of man was only evil continually. That's the state of the affairs before the flood. At the Tower of Babel, they say, let us make a name for ourselves. The promise to Abram is a reversal of that. I'm going to make your name great. No, no, let us make a name for ourselves. Man wanted to put himself in the place of God. He, he wanted to give himself blessing. He wanted to be able to reach out and take whatever he wanted and call the shots. And He didn't want to need God or receive blessing from God. But God created mankind as needy. Are you okay with that? That God created you with need, with want, with limitations, with pain, (laughs) with shortcomings. God created mankind as needy so that they would turn to Him for blessing. The creature could never become the Creator. Mankind was created to be the recipients, not the originators. And blessing is what was lost then in the curse of Genesis 3. That's another theme that's developed throughout the Bible. This this opposition of blessing and curse. and It's either one or the other. Blessing is God restoring all things to their proper order for His glory and for our good. And so often we call things blessing that are really just further expressions of the fall, right? Like a girl who is all about building her Instagram image, takes a selfie of herself, drinking a chai latte at just the right angle so that people will notice, and puts on the hashtag blessed. Like, girl, I hope what you meant was that that chai was so good that it made you taste and see that the Lord was good and it reminded you of Him. I hope that's what you mean. And maybe that is what was happening. Maybe that is what was happening, and if so, praise the Lord. Uh, but if, if it was really just another thing to say, to get more public affirmation, it wasn't the blessing that God was intending, but it was actually a curse. It was actually part of the curse. God gives us over to our sinful desires, right? We get a car or jewelry or whatever we had our hopes set on, and, and we assume that that's blessing. We assume a church is experiencing God's blessing when they have a lot of visitors or, or a huge gathering and, and uh, the size of the building that they own or the amount of people that attend. And, and listen, don't get me wrong. It is not wrong to be thankful. It is good to be thankful for God's good gifts and to enjoy them as such, as gifts from God. But if our faith is more about getting the object of blessing than the giver of blessing, then it's not true blessing. True blessing is the restoration of what was lost of the curse in Genesis 3. The restoration of goodness and order. The restoration of relationship with God Himself. God in His mercy is going to show undeserved favor and blessing on this family of Abram and this great nation of Israel. And we call that grace. Blessing is, is divine favor, right? And where blessing is undeserved, where blessing is unearned, where blessing is unmerited, we call that grace, unmerited favor. I want you to understand the story of Israel's patriarchs, the story of God's promises to them, is a story of grace, just as much as our story is. The Old Testament is a story of grace, just as much as our story. And Abram and his family received grace undeserved blessing. And because it was undeserved, I want you to see that Abram's blessing was not just for him. In verse 3, God pronounces blessing on all those who blessed him and cursing for those who dishonor him and through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And once again, this is about a bigger story unfolding. 
How could one man turn into a great nation that is the vehicle of blessing to every family on the face of the earth? How could that be? And we see the answer to that in the following verses. In verse 7, God promises to give the land to Abram's offspring. That's the third part of God's promise to Abram. Land, blessing, offspring. And really, this is the one that brings it all together. In in, in verse 7 again, To your offspring I will give this land. The promise of land and the promise of blessing were to come through Abram's offspring. Uh, Again, this isn't merely about having kids as a matter of personal satisfaction. Like, you know, having a big family back then was a a really good thing. Uh, but, But this isn't about, like, Abram, I want to I fulfill your identity as a, as a dad. I, w- I, wanna, I want you to feel good about that. No, no, no. This is about building God's story. Unfolding God's story. Our families, listen, our families are about God's story, not our family's story. Not our own satisfaction. You remember in the curse in Genesis 3, God promised that the offspring of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And that promise remains unchanged as God promises offspring to Abram. God's focusing in on this line of the offspring that's going to fulfill the promise. And we come to find that Abram has a son through his formerly barren wife, Sarai, or Sarah. He names him Isaac. Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob, whose name God later changes to Israel. And it's out of, and then Jacob or Israel has 12 sons, and they become the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's out of this nation of Israel that 2,500 years later, God would send his son, born of a virgin, to save his people from their sins and to bless the nations through Him. And ultimately, to put our faith in God's unchanging promise is to put our faith in the offspring, in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that all the promises of God are pointing us to. And we can trust God's promises because Jesus died, conquered sin and death, walked out of the grave, and is returning to establish His kingdom. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, none of the good promises of God are available to you. And you need to turn and you need to surrender your life to Him today. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then all, listen, all, of the good promises of God are available to you. As they were intended in the working out of His story. That doesn't mean that Jesus makes your life easy, happy, healthy, wealthy. It means that Jesus orders your life around God and His purposes for creation. God's promise is unchanging. He's he's working out the same story today in your life as He was in the life of Abram. And you can trust Him. You can trust Him. Your life is a a small part of a a big story. And, And so often we get so focused on that little small part that we miss out on the scope of God's promises. Um, so I, I borrowed my son's Star Wars afghan here because it was the only uh, afghan that we had that had a picture on it, right? And so this, this afghan is telling a story. Nick is liking this, right? And, uh, and this afghan is telling a story, right? It, it's got some, uh, let's, uh, the Millennium Falcon up there, and I think that's a, a resistance fighter. And uh, so it's telling some sort of story, right? And uh, we get so focused. Our lives are like one little tiny fiber of a thread on this big story of eternity. Think about this afghan as eternity. And your life is just a fiber of a thread on that afghan. And for sure, it is a part of the big story, right? It is a part, and without it, you'd have a hole. You would lose the integrity of the story. But we get so focused on that little fiber of the story that we miss out on the whole picture that it's painting. 
And God has been skillfully weaving together His promises for thousands of years. And our lives are just a a small part, but they are an intentional part, an important part. And the promises of God, they work at both the micro level of our lives, but they work in such a way that develops the whole picture that God is painting. And so here's how we apply this. We need to put our faith in what God has actually promised. We need to put our faith in what God has actually promised. His plan of redemption through His offspring so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. As we think about any of the promises of God, just think about any promise of God that you've heard of in the Bible, we need to think about how they relate back to this promise of Abram and the unchanging plan that he has set forth in this passage. Let me give you an example of what I mean. When we read a popular promise in the Bible, like Jeremiah 29.11, it was the most popular one I could think of. You, you've probably heard it. You've probably seen it cross-stitched on your grandma's wall. I received it in probably every graduation card I ever received. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, or the, the word means to give you welfare, shalom, peace, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's a beautiful promise, right? It's a beautiful promise. So many take that promise and say, see, God wants to prosper me in whatever I want to do. Just, he, he just wants me to have hope. He just wants to give me the, and then He's going to give me the job. He's going to give me the car. He's going to give me the house. Whatever it is that I want, He's going to give it to me because His plan is to prosper me. And if you turn on the smiley face preacher on TV, nine times out of ten, he's going to quote this verse. It's amazing how many sermons they can work this verse into. It's incredible. But if you look at the context, there's something way bigger than personal prosperity going on. God doesn't, I'm sorry, God does want to prosper his people. He does want to give them shalom, welfare, wholeness, peace. But that comes as he brings them back to the same land that Abram promised, was promised. And it, it, it doesn't happen until after they spend a very long time apart from that land. Some of them even dying there in that foreign place where God is getting their attention and calling them back to seeking Him. Some of them didn't make it back. But the promise was bigger than them. The promise is first about God working out His plan for His glory in the bigger story He's writing. And then in seeking His glory, we find true prosperity, true wholeness, true peace, true shalom. See, the promise is about the unfolding of a bigger story, not the individual events in my own story. And it's so important that you understand that as you set your faith in the promises of God, He's working all things out for His ultimate glory and your ultimate good. And if you're trusting God's promise for any other reason, you're missing the point of His promise. So, what I would encourage you to do is keep doing the work this fall of understanding the big story that God is working out and the place that you have in it, and how you relate to all the different parts, and then, and then latch on to the specific promises as you read them that are going to sustain you in that place. I'll give you a hint, a hint as to your place in the unfolding story. Uh, you are a follower of the offspring of Abraham. You're a follower of the offspring of Abraham if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You are a part of the nations who receive the blessing of Jesus Christ who are not from the nation of Israel. You are also called to bless the nations with the blessing of Jesus. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He said, behold, I'm with you always. Another precious promise that comes back to this promise to Abraham. Ultimately, you are getting ready for the day when the offspring, King Jesus, returns and sets up a thousand-year reign in the land of Israel. And the Bible is filled, filled with promises that sustain you 
in your participation in that story. Not so many promises that are given to sustain you in the building of your own kingdom. Not not so many promises about the new car you want to buy. But tons of promises about trusting Jesus with your whole life and, and helping others to do the same. Put your faith in the unchanging promise. Now maybe you're like, you just don't understand though, Pastor Ben. Uh, The things that I'm going through right now, they are so big, so scary, so real, so impossible that I can't see my way through the crazy right now to see what God is doing in a bigger story. I can't get myself out of the tiny little fibers of that Afghan to see the bigger picture. It seems like just living with my head in the clouds when I'm going to ignore all the real problems in my life. Is that what you want me to do? And I'm not sure how to believe in a promise about an eternal plan when I can't see my way past Tuesday. And I want you to learn from the lives of the patriarchs that God's promise is not only unchanging, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Put your faith in God's unstoppable promise as He works out His story. I love the fact that God chose to work out His story and His promise in real time and space events that felt huge. I mean huge to the people walking through them. And I find this interesting. As we look at these three parts of God's promise to Abraham, there are some real threats to each part. And before we leave today, I just want to look at three big categories of obstacles that try to stop God's promise. Circumstances, sin, and human frailty. We see all three of those things challenge the promises of God in the patriarchs' lives and in our lives too. And it requires great faith to trust the unstoppable promise of God's nature sometimes. And so let's start with the circumstances. I want you to relate this to the land promise to Abraham. So, he leaves the land of his family's heritage, and he lives in Canaan, and he he builds some great wealth for sure, but by the end of his life, he's still a sojourner. He's still a nomad. The Canaanites control the land. He's a renter, not a homeowner. And that was an even bigger deal back then than it is today. And there are all these threats to the promise of the land. In chapter 12, right after the promise is made, right after the promise is made, and the land is shown to Abram, there's a famine in Canaan. And he has to run to Egypt to escape it. Like, God, you just promised this land. And a little famine circumstance seems like it's going to get in the way. And then as time goes on, his son Isaac has to leave the land in order to find a wife. Apparently there's no good women in the land who don't worship idols. And Abram says to his servant, you make sure he comes back here. You make sure he comes back here. Haran is not the land that God promised to us. You get him a wife, you get him back here. Circumstances of needing to find a good wife seem to threaten the promise of God. And then a little later in the story, Isaac blesses Jacob and he too flees the land for fear of his life and and to find a wife. And he's gone for a really long time. And God brings him back and he renews the same Covenant, the same covenant. He just keeps speaking it over and over and over again. I promise, I promise, I promise. And he keeps showing his power to do that. And even when we get to the end of Genesis and at the end of Jacob's life, we see his 12 sons, and they aren't even in the land anymore. There's there's another famine. And, And once again, they're in Egypt as refugees seeking help. Circumstances circumstances sometimes look like they are going to overturn God's promise. Have you felt that? But over and over again, we see in the story of the patriarchs, 
that circumstances can't stop God. He has His way. He brings them back to the land. He overcomes the circumstance. Now, often they're trying to get out of that circumstance, and the way that they choose is sin, right? And so maybe sin, maybe our sin could stop God's promise. There are times in the story when it looks like the sin of these patriarchs is so bad that God is going to just be like, you know what? No blessing for you. I'm done with that idea. Like when Abram tells two different kings on two different occasions that his wife Sarai is his sister because he was afraid that the king would kill him in order to, leave, in order to get her for himself. Like great protective husband move there, buddy. Here, just have her. She's uh, my sister. Really? What kind of lame... And then his son Isaac learns to play that same exact play from his dad, and he does the same exact thing with his wife Rebecca. And then you have Jacob deceiving his father and stealing his brother's blessing and birthright. Or how about that time that Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery? And over and over and over again... After God makes His promise to Abram and, and his offspring, it looks like their sin is going to mess it up. And they keep trying to take matters into their own hands. They keep trying to fulfill God's promise without God. Like if I can just have the blessing without the God, I'll be good. I find this comforting because, listen, if sin could mess up God's plan, it certainly would have already by the end of the first book of the Bible. If sin could mess up God's plan, it certainly would have already. Praise the Lord for that in my life. I don't know about you. But instead, we just see God repeating the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'm giving you a land where you're going to live before me. I'm giving you a blessing where you're going to bless the nations. I'm giving you an offspring, a a whole nation. But even more than a king, we get a promise to Judah at the end of Genesis. You're going to have a king over the land. He deals with them graciously and patiently. And at the very end of Genesis, we get this awesome statement from the lips of Joseph. It's a summary statement not only about Joseph's life, but about the whole history of the world up to this point. Genesis 50 verse 20. You can write that down. Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you... You meant evil against me. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And God has this amazing ability to use whatever evil to work out His own plans and purposes. He doesn't cause the sin, but it, but it never once catches him off guard. It never once interrupts his work. It never once stops his promise. And sometimes we, we mess up so bad in our sin that we wonder if, if God could ever use us. Can God use us? If we somehow messed up His plan in our lives beyond repair, if He's going to retract His plan of salvation from us. And the story of the patriarchs shows us that our sin will not, cannot interrupt God's unstoppable promise to work out His story of salvation. That's why we're learning to sing that song that we just sang this morning. He will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, He will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. And yes... We need to turn from our sin and run to Christ in whom He fully and finally dealt with our sin. But we do not, listen, we do not wait until we are perfect to say, I'm following Him and I'm on board with Him. That is not what God wants. That was Adam's plan. That was Abram's plan. Go figure it out myself in order for God to give His promise to me. That's sin. No, we trust Him to accomplish His work in our lives. Now maybe you're like, yeah, it's not really circumstances or sin that I'm worried about. It's actually my own 
human frailty. Like my body is weak. It just doesn't work the way that I want it to. I'm just watching God's story from the sidelines because I don't have enough strength or ability to do anything else. But I want you to think about this promise of offspring. Didn't frailty certainly threaten that promise? And Sarah was barren until she was 90 years old. 90 years old. And when she heard God's promise, she laughed out loud. She's like, I hit menopause a long time ago, buddy. I'm worn out. And, And have you seen him? Hebrews says he's as good as dead. But their human frailty was the result of the fall And it did not stop God from using them and fulfilling His promise. In fact, God waited until they were so frail. He waited so that it would be impossible for them to fulfill His promise without without Him. And so maybe you're feeling like this in your life right now. You're looking at your circumstances or your sin or your own human frailty and saying, yeah, I just, I just don't know about all this big story stuff. I don't, I just, I'm not a part of it. Like, I don't know how my story fits into the big picture at all. It barely seems like God even knows I exist half the time. I'm not sure if He even cares. It seems like His glory and my good just don't work together. And God is saying, just trust me. Just trust me. I've got this. You are not God. I am. I promise. And the thing I'm working out in your life is bigger than you. It's bigger than your kid. It's bigger than the place you're living. It's bigger than the pain you're feeling. It's bigger than the sin in your life. It's bigger than you can even fathom on this side of eternity. And this microscopic part of your life is so interwoven into the same tapestry I'm weaving that it would blow your mind. And so have faith in my unchanging and unstoppable promise. Not what you want my promises to be. No, no, no. Something so much better than that. What my promise actually is. Salvation and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. My glory, which is the source of your good. A kingdom in which... Heaven meets earth and and Jesus rules and reigns for all eternity and where you find life, flourishing, beauty, goodness, blessing. I just wonder if there's anyone here who is wanting to believe the promises of God. They want to believe them, but struggling to see them in the bigger picture of their story. Our faith starts there. It starts in seeing God work out His salvation story through Abram, through Isaac, through Jacob and his sons, through the nation of Israel, through the land, through the blessing, through the offspring. Ultimately seeing God fulfill every single promise in Jesus Christ. God will not stop until He is ruling and reigning forever and that is what you stake your life upon. That is what you hold on to. And so I just want to give you a few minutes to do that hard work with God as the worship team comes. If you want to just bow your head and and close your eyes and uh, spend some time before the Lord. He's with you in this place. Take some time to Acknowledge your circumstances and your sin and your frailty before Him that 
that you fear would disrupt his promise in your life. And then remind yourself again of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that while you were a sinner, while you were living among the idolatrous nations, participating in all of their ways, God rescued you. He sent His Son to be the sufficient sacrifice for your sin when he looks at you, he sees his son and he says, I am well pleased. This is my child. Partake in the promises that I have spoken for my glory, which is where you will find your ultimate good. then surrender those things to Him. Surrender the circumstances. Surrender the sin. Surrender the frailty. Say, God, in the midst of these things, I see You working. I see You working out Your story. It's so much bigger than me. Help me to delight in that. Have joy in that. Help me to meet You and find You there. God, our stories are nothing without You. You are the author and creator. You are the sustainer of all things. You are working all things together for the good of those who love You and for the glory of Your Son. So, we trust You this morning. We trust You because there is no one else who we could trust. We trust You as the perfect promise giver and we long to see Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our lives even now. Help us to find our place in that story. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.